I taught Navajo kids. It, it was a, a, an embarrassing almost to you use these books to teach Navajo kids. They said, well, where are we in these stories? We weren't there in, in, in 1776. We weren't there when the Bill of Rights was signed in the, in the U.S. Constitution. Where's our story here? Where's where's Hueldi, the long walk? Where are the story of, of our nation? Where's the local history? Welcome, everybody, to the Colectivo podcast. If you remember, on our last episode, we talked about President Trump's executive order about diversity and inclusion. At the end of that episode, we talked about a new executive order creating a committee to review patriotic education in the nation's schools. Since our last episode, we've had an election. On the eve of the election, the president put together his executive order. In that executive order, he established the 1776 Commission to Promote Patriotic Education. We will talk about that on this episode. We have some really great guests. We are joined by Ed Hermes. He's an attorney at Snell and Wilmer and recently elected governing board member for the Osborne School District. Congrats, Ed. Thank you. We also have Senator Martin Quesada. I'm Arizona State Senator also a governing board member for the Pendergrass Elementary School District. As always, our co-hosts, Natalia Ronceria Ceballo and Eric Diaz, thank you guys for joining us. Before we get into the topic, just I want to take a step back. So we know history is told by the victors, so it makes sense that until recently, what we learned in school spoke very highly of our founders and treated things like slavery, the conquest of natives, immigration exclusion acts, or internment of certain groups of Americans as necessities for their times. Uh, but it's just now that schools are broadening their curriculum to share stories that we might not have heard as children. Ed or Martin, I'll open this to either of you. What do you yeah. think caused this change in the approach at the school level? Uh, um, Ian, th this is Ed and Josh, appreciate the question and thanks for having me on today. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the podcast, so keep up the great work. Uh, you know, I think it's been a long, hard fight from from groups, from the like the NAACP, um, like MALDEF, from groups and people who have been pushing for decades to have a more inclusive, to have a more really fulsome, um, uh, you know, curriculum for history, so that it's not just simplistic and one-sided and um, you know cursory, which is sometimes what you get, you know, in, in the history books. Uh, of the past, especially of, uh, hey, here, you know, Christopher Columbus came, fast forward, oh, we're at 1776, um, we beat the British, everybody's happy, um, hooray, right? And it, history is so much more complex than that. And there have been people um, and organizations who have been pushing for decades to, to move the ball forward, to tell the full story of history and, and that you know what, in 1776, things weren't great for everybody. Uh, and a lot of people were not at the table. Um, you know, African-American slavery, uh, um, you know, Native Americans, really anyone who wasn't uh, white and a landholder, right? And um, to, there's been a lot of people pushing for the, a better telling of history that gives more sides that tells a deeper and more truthful story, right? And so I think we've made a lot of progress over the past, you know, since the civil rights movement to today, 
but we still have a lot of work to be done. I was a, a high school history teacher before becoming an attorney. And, you know, the books that we had to use, um, they weren't, were they better than, than some of the books in the past? Sure. But uh, I taught Navajo kids. And, you know, it, it was a, a, an embarrassing almost to, to use these books to teach Navajo kids. They said, well, where are we in these stories? You know, we weren't there, in, you know, uh, in 1776. We weren't there taught, uh, when the Bill of Rights was signed in the, in the U.S. Constitution. Where's our story here? Where's Queldi, where's the long walk? Where are the stories of, of our nation? Where's the local history? And it wasn't there. Right. Or if it was there, it was very cursory. It was very small. Um, so I had to go outside the textbooks to develop curriculum that that, I, that really fit and, and told the history of, of the students that I was teaching. Right? It's very disheartening and it's very um, isolating to teach American history and not tell the stories of, of the Americans that are sitting right in your classroom. Right. So we have a lot of work to do. And I'm sure we'll get there, but this this uh, executive order is a step in the wrong direction and, and takes us farther away from where we need to be. Martin, I know your background in ethnic studies. We also have seen a rise in ethnic study programs over the last decade, mm -hmm. you know, Mexican-American studies and, and others. Uh, but we've also seen a big pushback against them. Can you speak about what happened there uh, and, and where, where we're at now? Yeah, I mean, I think this, you know, it feeds into a lot about what uh, what Ed was talking about. You know, um, communities of color, people of color, uh, historically have fought to take back uh, the education of their children. Um, and, you know, you look at, you know, in all states uh, where there was large communities of color, they've, they've been fighting those battles. And in some places, they've, they've been very successful. Um, you know, even going back to looking in, in California, looking at, at desegregating schools between Mexican kids and, and, and Anglo kids. And, and in, uh, you know, in, in Texas where they were, you were fighting just to create, you know, some cultural studies programs. And in Arizona, uh, we, we did something very similar in the Tucson Unified School District. Uh, uh, you know, the communities elected school board members of color, which is important because you have to have those decision makers in, in place first to be able to enact those changes. So first they elected members of color to their board. And then those board members created a, a Mexican American studies program. Um, and, and the result of that was that it was like, like all um, ethnic studies, you know, courses or, or the overwhelming majority of them, they were hugely successful. Um, students loved the content. Uh, the students were excelling in those courses. And then their success was translating into the other courses as well, English, mathematics, sciences, uh, because they were discovering a, 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 renow, a, a renewed um, faith in, in education, a renewed interest in education, because they're learning about themselves and they're learning about American history, real American history. And so, you know, these programs became very, very successful. But, um, you know, to answer your question, I think in, in any historical context, Whenever um, you know suppressed or minority communities, no matter what those communities are, whether they're communities of color or or of of you know LGBT communities or or women, um, you know anybody who's who's uh, you know in in a in a minority uh, uh, space, whenever they start to fight back and claim uh, some power, there's a big pushback against it, and there's an effort to put them back in their place. And I think that's exactly what we saw from the highest levels mm -hmm. with, the, with the Tucson Unified School District 
and their Mexican-American studies program. And, and, and what we saw ultimately was there was a pretty powerful state senator at the time um, uh, who was the chair of the education committee. He got word of the, of the program in Tucson and, and he went down and toured it and, and learned about it. And he came in, proposed a bill to, uh, to outlaw all of those types of um, curriculum in Arizona. And then the attorney general got involved. He started doing an investigation. And ultimately this bill became law. Uh, the attorney general found that Tucson Unified violated that because they refused to not, to not uh, you know, take away a program that was working for kids yeah. and helping kids graduate. And, and, and to, just to talk about some of the successes of it, the, the kids that were in that program were graduating at higher rates than kids that were outside of the program. They were, they, it was a successful program. And so uh, they fought back and said, no, we're not going to get rid of it. And it started a whole legal fight that lasted many, many years. And it wasn't until 2017 when a federal district court found that it was uh, uh, that, that, that the whole ban on ethnic studies um, had a racial animus to it. Um, and so, you know, short answer is communities of color fought for, fought for some rights and, and, and those in power fought back and pushed them back down. I just have to chime in and, and underscore that element, that point. I, what popped into my head was when people talk about it, it being a dance, a bit of a cha-cha, right? Sometimes we take two steps forward and one step back, or sometimes it's one step forward and two steps back. I was wondering if you were going to mention the Tucson example, because it's exactly what popped into my mind and thought that began in 2012. And it wasn't until 2017 that they ruled that that was in violation of the First and 14th Amendment rights of students. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it took five years even to get to that point, right, shows if there aren't people committed to pushing the envelope, how easy it can be for the status quo, whatever that is, to, to persist, right? Um, mm -hmm. So just had to underscore that because I, yes, absolutely. Thank you for being And, and I think that. it wasn't just, you know, the, the elected members of the board and, and lawyers that were fighting a fight, it was students too. And I remember vividly seeing the, the, the ethnic studies courses, the MOS students that took over the boardroom, chained themselves to the dais and, yeah. and, and said, we want these courses. We want to learn about our own history. And I thought that was a beautiful thing. It's very inspiring. I do remember those, just seeing them on the news, uh, those kids. And you know, this is something that I'm sure will have affected them for the rest of their lives. You know, this is, this is an experience that they not only got to learn about the history of, of Latinos and, you know, migrant farm work movements, and, and they got a chance to pick it. They got a chance to be there. And Martin, you, you, you hit a point that we see it over and over in these discussions. In our last episode as well, when we talked about the diversity executive order, it's, it's power. People knowing about their history, there, there's a power that comes to it because of the change. You know, those kids, and once they knew what Cesar Chavez did, what other people did, Dolores Huerta did, why can't we stand up? Why can't we pick it? You know, why can't we do do these things? With this executive order, I see that as another another pull. First pull came from the state that was that was knocked down. The next pull is coming from the executive branch, from the federal government. Again, the executive order established a federal 1776 commission to promote quote unquote patriotic education. President Trump tweeted that it was meant to stop the radical indoctrination of our students and restore patriotic education to our schools. He announced his idea in September in response to removal of statues of colonial revolutionary figures during national anti-police brutality and anti-racism protests. We saw a whole movement through Black Lives Matter that 
took people to the streets. This last election, we've seen uh, flags change in states. We've seen uh, statues come down. It's that power struggle. How, how does uh, a conservative federal executive make that change? You know, in the order, he says, in recent years, a series of polemics grounded in poor scholarship has vilified our founders and our founding. Despite the virtues and accomplishments of this nation, many students are now taught in school to hate their own country and to believe that the men and women who built it were not heroes, but rather villains. This radicalized view of American history lacks perspective, obscures virtues, twists motives, ignores or distorts facts, and magnifies laws, resulting in the truth being concealed and history disfigured. Failing to identify, challenge, and correct the distorted perspective could fray and ultimately erase the bonds that knit our country and culture together. Thoughts on that? I mean, so, so much wrong on that. It's almost, where do you start? So I, I, I so many thoughts on that. Um, first, like so many other things, um, you know, Arizona was a, a big testing ground, as, as Senator Quezada said, for this struggle, this power struggle. Um, like how, you know, we first had Joe Arpaio here, and then we had, a you know, this Joe Arpaio-type figure, you know, on a national level, President Trump, who's trying to do everything he can to make life hard on immigrants. We saw this fight here in Arizona first with, with the ethnic studies program. It's the same type of racial animus. And those aren't my words. That's a federal district court judge's words in striking down that law. We're seeing the same thing happening now on the national level. Uh, one of the things that strikes, you know, that also really you know, jumps out at me is the, what he's talking about is, is, is what is the national bond? You know, what does it mean to be patriotic? Um, and that, that is um, so different in the president's mind of, of what that means to be patriotic than, than, it, than what I think really being American is, which is welcoming immigrants, which is understanding, you know, not shying away from the truth, but understanding that, yes, our founders were flawed. Yes, they, people have made mistakes. We are still a flawed union, and yet we are striving to make it better, right? That's, that, that's to me, is, is what some of the bonds that, that keep us together is being welcoming to immigrants and being the land of opportunity, right? Uh, one of the other things, too, is, I mean, what does it mean to be patriotic? My, my wife is an immigration attorney, and she spent many years um, working to uh get citizenship for people for in our community who have green cards i think that's one of the most patriotic things that that anyone can do and i know josh you've you've done a lot of that work as well is welcoming people into our country and uh, encouraging immigrants to come to stay to to be a part of our community that to me is some of the most patriotic things that that anyone could do um and but that's not that's not what what this president means, you know, when he said uses the word patriotic, he's using using it in this way that is, you know, is skewed and is kind of um, coded in a way that is, um, you know, a, 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 in a in a racial animus way, as as the federal district court said, to try to put people down and to try to make people feel lesser than and to try to ignore certain histories that might be empowering for people. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think uh, I think Ed, Ed, Ed hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think this is it's really a kind of a scary um, message that is being sent uh, from the federal government, you know, through this 
through this executive order and through the words that are actually in that order. And, you know, Ed pointed out to a couple of them, but, uh, you know, he, he mentioned poor scholarship. I, I heard you say, Joshua, uh, you know, vilified our founders. He's claiming that, that, you know, learning about our culture is vilifying the founders. Uh, he's saying that it's that, that learning about our culture is teaching us to hate uh, our, he said to hate their own country. Um, so he's, he's equating educating ourselves about our history to hating um, uh, their own country. Uh, he's saying, you know, failing to identify, challenge, and correct this distorted perspective could fray and ultimately erase the bonds that knit our country and culture together. And, and like, just to follow up on what Ed said, it, it, I was thinking the exact same thing. Which bonds exactly is he talking about? Because, you know, African-Americans aren't included in that, in that American bond. They're still getting, being gunned down by police. Uh, you know, Latinos, uh, you know, Chicanos, Mexican-Americans are, are, are still trapped in a broken immigration system. We're st our, our women are being forcibly sterilized on the border. You know, our, our kids are being locked in cages right now. Uh, you know, Native Americans have historically just been, you know, just in, over and over been just dumped on by this, by this nation uh, and had their land stolen right from under them. Uh, we've, we've, we've put Japanese Americans in internment camps. So exactly which bond is he referring to that we need to preserve? And, and it's it, it, like, like Ed said, it's a very dog whistle coded message that, that it, it, is, it is the Eurocentric, you know, white uh, America that he's trying to preserve. And he's trying to keep all of that other stuff, all that other talk about, about um, you know, civil rights, about human rights for, for people of color. He's trying to keep that down. Let's not bring that up. Let's not bring them up uh, to a level of equality. Um, and and that, that's a terrifying message to send to our nation. Um, and I think the scariest part is I think that the people are, are buying into it a little bit. Unfortunately, we are saying, right? There is a lot, of, a lot who seem to align, but you mentioned something about uh, the fear factor, right? In terms of that this is scary, what it puts out. I will flip that though. And I think a lot of people uh, might agree or find truth in it because of fear as well because of their own type of fear right uh, we fear change we fear loss uh, just as human beings so i think that that's playing out a bit in this space too at least from the lens that, that i have um so i just wanted to call that out too because i think it's we have a long road to really find that unity that we desire, right? And to really find those th those bonds that that really do unify us. Um, and unfortunately, I think a lot on either side, if you want to call them sides, is fueled by fear. To your point, Natalia, is that there are people that are afraid that the power is being taken away. When you start redistributing it, to people of color, whether it's power in information or power in other ways, you know, power politically, power economically, it's taken away from, from somebody else. There is a fear and there is a wanting to hold on to that. But at the same time, the stories of, of our ancestors, the stories of, of, of the ancestors of people of color that were Americans to, to begin with, they're not being told. One of the, the big conversations around this is around the election. We've been talking about this, how over the last eight, uh, eight elections, you know, seven of them, the Democratic candidate won the popular vote, but they didn't always win the Electoral College. So the question is around the Electoral College, why was it created? 
right. you have to go back to the history yeah. and understand that it's, it's a big part because of slavery. If you don't understand the history of it, you won't understand why it needs to be changed. If the children in, in the schools aren't learning this, when they get to the point where they have to make a decision about this, they're not going to know how to make it. That's right. I mean, that's a great point about the, using the Electoral College as, a, as, a, uh, as an example. I mean, uh, most people don't know. You know, most people didn't read Federalist Paper number 46 that talks about the Electoral College and understand that the big reason for it was people didn't trust democracy. They didn't want democracy. And they, didn't, they wanted a smaller group of white landed people to make that decision because democracy was, was kind of radical at the time. Now we've, we've come so far from that, hopefully, in, in being supporting democracy and understanding that people uh, are the ones who should be making a decision as to who the president is. Right. Um, and, but if, if you talk about the truth and the history that can kind of endanger some of those, um, some of those institutions that are anti-democratic like the electoral college, which I think that's where a lot of this is coming from, from the president. It's part of his campaign against truth. And if you don't, and that truth doesn't necessarily mean to be, oh, we're going to teach false history. It's just, we're going to cherry pick. Okay. We're going to teach this. Uh, we're going to teach like, you know, Boston Tea Party and, and, you know, things like that. And we're not going to teach Trail of Tears. We're not going to teach the long walk. We're not going to teach, you know, the interning of the, of the Japanese. That, that just sounds a little too relevant right now to what might be happening right now with the federal cops picking people up in, in Portland. You know, uh, we don't want to teach those things. So through those omissions, those are lies. You know, that, that is not truth. When you omit um, the full story, you're not telling the full story. And, and, and that's, that, that's another form of the attack on truth that we've been seeing from our president, right? But when you tell that full story, you, people are going to want to demand change. And I think that those type of changes are exactly what this administration doesn't want to see. What I'm hearing is sort of a, a theme that's emerging from both of you, uh, Senator Quesada and Ed, and even uh, uh, Josh here, is that truth can also mean knowledge, right? Equaling knowledge. So full truth, that's interesting, right? That whole, that's a, that's a whole other conversation of like, if you just do a partial truth, is that really a lie, right? There's a, there's all, but that's a whole discussion, but it, there's, Again. It doesn't work with my wife. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah. Talk about that in your relationships and see what happens. But uh, it's so true, right? But when we have that ability to showcase the full picture, in a sense, show multiple perspectives, what I'm hearing is that actually is bridging to knowledge. And when you give people access to knowledge, that equals power, right? Because knowledge can become power, especially when it turns into action. And what we're seeing, I think, with a lot of this that we're discussing today and seeing is the pushback of that access to full knowledge, right? To full mm -hmm. truth because of fear of what was that going to mean when that power actually is in the hands of the masses now? Uh, what kind of, as you mentioned, change is going to now be demanded. And as Josh mentioned, well, gosh, does that mean I have to redistribute power? If I'm the one holding power, power is an intoxicating drug, right? That is something that people have a very hard time letting go of. 
understanding the history of a lot of the things that are happening right now. So I mean, if you think about the police and, and the violence against people of color by police, you think about you know, police forces were created originally to enforce runaway slaves. You know, where do, where do these things come from? What's the origin of them? How does that affect the current situation of, of a lot of things that are going on right now? We can decide, do we want to continue as we have been or do we want to shift? Do we want to do something differently? I think that's the other thing. When you don't really know the history, when we don't have that knowledge or that education base, how then do we really make informed decisions about what we want to do moving forward? Natalia, I think you hit on the, exactly the right point, and it, and it goes to, the, to censorship. It's really what it, it starts looking like, right? Uh, censoring certain parts of, uh, of our history and saying, no, don't look over there. Don't overturn that stone. And that's, that's censorship, right? And, you know, take it to a more extreme example. I mean, there's a reason why, um, you know, the Chinese government doesn't, doesn't teach about Tiananmen Square, right? Doesn't teach about uh, certain things. And, you know, we should all look at this executive order and get nervous about that. You know, and I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here, but, um, you know, we we one of the, the things that that I think bind this country together is truth that, you know, that we uphold the truth that that we are a nation of, of immigrants, that we are a nation that, that seeks out justice and equity. Those are the things that 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 bind us. Right. Um, it's not it's not race. It's not religion. Um, never. If you look at the, the actual history of our country, that's not what it's about. Right. Um, and this is a, an attack on those things. This is an, an attack on truth. This is an attempt to at, at censorship from the national level, which, which should make everybody nervous. And I think that, you know, in addition, um, you know, all of that kind of put together, you have to really think about what really is racism in 2020. Today's mm -hmm. type of racism is not I don't like you because you're a different color. Uh, yeah. Today's racism is systematic. It, it's, a, it's a system. It is a, a complex system of laws and policies and rules and budgets and, and, and any effort to gain more knowledge about how that system works is a threat to tear that system down. So when, when, when racism is in action, it is trying to suppress that knowledge to be able to suppress that power to prevent you from changing the system that certain people are benefiting from. And right now, our system benefits certain people. And that is the, that, that's really the, the ultimate um, uh, end goal, I think, of all of this, is to preserve that power and preserve the, the beneficiaries of that power right now. And that's not us. That's not people of color. That's not the, the majority of the Americans that live in this country, frankly. Yeah. You know? yeah, exactly, it's yeah. It's a, very few, it's a very small number very of people small. that are the beneficiaries. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so, so speaking of that, obviously, since our last episode, and since, even since the executive order, which was uh, on November 2nd, we've had an election. President Trump obviously did not win that election, even though he claimed he did. But come, come January 20th, that's going to change. How do you guys think this will affect the next administration? I'm really hopeful for, you know, the, the fact that um, Dr. Biden is going to be in the White House. You know, we're going to have an actual educator in the White House. And, and that gives me a lot of hope. And my hope is that's going to influence a lot of his education agenda, his education policy agenda. And already, you know, Dr. Biden's create, or, um, you know, President-elect Biden is creating like a transition team 
that is fairly diverse. I mean, he's putting African-Americans, Latinos, you know, Anglo people, he's putting a diverse group together already. And so I think that gives me hope about what he will do with education. And just the fact that there is an educator um, there in the White House uh, gives me a lot of hope. I don't know, what do you think, Ed? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're gonna see a lot of these executive orders just reversed on day one like yeah. this. Um, and I think this, this is gonna be something that we're going to look back at, hopefully look back at and, and kind of um, shudder at and say, wow, look, look, what, look what happened. Um, this is this is not the country we want to be. Um, and also, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say congratulations to Senator Quezada on his reelection to to the state Senate. Um, and, and also a thank you. I've been, uh, you know, I first met Senator Quezada while I was an intern down in the legislature. He was a staffer and he's been down there at the legislature fighting for public education and for teachers and for more money for public education and all these issues we're talking about today he's been, been as long as i've known him which was like 2005 is when i first met senator quezada before he was in the senate uh when he was a staff person down there he's been fighting for these issues so um it, i think uh, a somewhat of a thankless job to be a state senator and so i really want to take the opportunity to say thank you for fighting the good fight down there uh i've, I've seen you doing so much good down there. So thank you and keep it up. Yeah, of course, uh, you're aging us though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, but to answer your question, I mean, just today I read, I read that um, uh, President-elect Biden was looking at uh, um, uh, state representative from New Mexico, Holland, as uh, who's, who's Native American at, for the uh, position of the, in the, as the Secretary of the Department of Interior. That would be huge. Right yeah. to have a Native American woman to head up the Department of, of Interior, which oversees, among many other things, um, you know, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and to have somebody who carries that history, both in her mind and in her blood, um, and to to show that diversity and to carry those experiences to make the decisions at the highest levels. I think that's that's um, going to be a huge change. So when you were when our government's making decisions on whether to uphold and follow uh, treaties with our uh, with our First Nations, and um, she'll have that, that firsthand knowledge and history and experience, uh, both from you know her family, from her tribe, and um, from her formal education to be able to make those decisions. I think that's going to see a lot of people like that in the Biden administration who are going to bring that those knowledge and experience to um, uh, to really make our government go in a better direction. Yeah, that's huge. I know that we, we've been going, this is a good conversation. It's a little longer uh, than we don't really would, but uh, we're, we're getting there. But I wanted to just interject quickly um, and ask both uh, Senator Quesada and Ed, for our listeners today, was there any advice or guidance that you would give or even a resource that you say you have to check this out um, for those that are interested in really knowing more about um, the true history of this country and and want to be able to gain knowledge, but also share it forward. I think one, if you're listening to this podcast, you're, you're, you're on a good track. And, and nowadays, it's not just books, although that's usually my first go-to. And I'm, I'm a history major uh, from ASU before I became a history teacher. Um, so there's so many great books out there about history. And I would say, you know, research it, find a book about our, our local history here in Arizona, about our tribal history here in Arizona. There's so many great books um, 
and uh, and about about your own history and place and family and where you come from. There's so many wonderful books that you can just fall into. And now we've got like we have here podcasts too. There's so many wonderful podcasts out there that do a deep dive into into history and specific things. You know, a lot of what even the best intentioned um, history books. Um, because of the limited time that that we have, and I was a, I was a history teacher, and I and I was part of this, and I understand, you know, when you, you when you have one year with a kid, um, you know, about a hundred and you know, um, you know, a certain amount of school days with with a kid, a certain amount of hours, you can only impart so much of of our country's history, uh, and and our world's history, and our family's history, and our tribe's history. Um, you got to take it upon yourself to go research and uh, pick up some books, find some podcasts to really do some deep dive. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. And, and I guess to, to kind of bring it back full circle, um, you know, going back to the, the Mexican-American studies program in, in Tucson, you know, the, a lot of people assume, uh, and, and they're correct, that it was students of color that were the beneficiaries of that. But some of the biggest beneficiaries were the non-students of color? Were the Anglo kids, and and because they were getting exposed to to African American culture, to uh, Latin American culture, to to Asian American culture, to Native American culture. I mean, so uh, those students performed just as well as the kids of color, even in the other subjects, in math, in science, and 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 reading and writing. And so, um, yeah, I think that that a, a lot of this is has to be just by default has to be kind of self uh, motivated. Uh, uh, research and reading, but but it's once you find that that joy in learning about these cultures. I mean, there, there's there's so many, there's so much to learn that that you'll never end. I've got a book sitting here. I mean, even reading about you know anti-racism sitting on on my on my table right now. I mean, these these are they're, they're great um, books, and once you can apply them to real life situations and learn how to apply them to the situations that you're going through in your whatever profession that you're in. Um, Things will start to open up. Things will start to make sense, and and that thirst to learn more uh, will, will open up as well. And that's what happened to me. I didn't start learning about politics, getting involved in politics, until I took um, Rasa study, studies courses when I was in college. And that wasn't until I was at ASU. And I had zero interest in any of this in high school because I was never exposed to it. So you know, had I not taken those classes uh, at as as a young adult, um, who knows where I would be today? You know. So I, I, ben, I, I, I really uh, thank the fact that it, I took those courses and learned mm-hmm. from those professors and read those authors, um, Rudolfo Anaya, you know, reading, you know, Bless Me Ultima, which is now my favorite book, you know, just books like that, that have really, they turned my life around, put me on a completely different path. And I think that can happen to a lot of people uh, if they just start looking at, looking at some of those books and reading uh, and, mm-hmm. and listening to some of these podcasts. Be open right. to those other perspectives, right? Be yeah. open. And I'll, I'll add a couple things there too. A book that I love that I've just been reading right now, it's called Cased. It's by Isabel Wilkinson. If you haven't read it, it's amazing about race and about the, the different, yeah, it's, it's great. Read it. And mm-hmm. then uh, if, if you haven't watched John Linguizamo's Latin History for Morons, it's now yeah, on Netflix. That's- it's amazing. I saw him live here at ASU when he was here last year, but uh, watch it. I think it's, it's a great resource. That's a good one. It's a good one. I mean, it, it does... Uh, he does a good job of it. You know, it's only about two hours long, you know, but I think the best part about that is I think it sparks a lot of interest to say, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Right. And then hopefully people will go down that rabbit hole and, and 
check out the books and, and do a deeper dive. But that's a good, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again, both of you. Uh, and thank you to our, 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 our co-host always, uh, Eric and, and Natalia. Um, I wish I could have you guys on for hours. I love this, this topic. And uh, again, uh, congratulations on your elections. Arizona really came through as far as the number of voters this year. We had a really quality grassroots push to get more people to vote and especially more Latinos to vote. On our next episode, we're going to talk to some of these grassroots organizers and uh, and talk about how they they got the Latino vote out and how we're only about 10,000 votes difference between our state going blue. So stick with us. We look forward to having you on our next episode. Thank you so much for having me. Go learn your history, everybody. Go learn your history. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work, Colectivo. Gracias por todo.